warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. your podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Now, joining me today is Stephen, who's chuckling away in the background there, I can hear him. A tweet was sent out recently from another person who's actually sitting in the Balaban Sound Studio with me at the moment, that Real Britannia has just a hint of Tony. Yay. Yay. Well, he's no longer a hint. He is here in the flesh. After a good couple of months, I think it's since the Man Who Would Be King episode. Hello, mate. Well, Hello. Welcome back. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> you often Thanks for having me back. Hint, though, don't you? Hmm? I have misheard that one. You often call him a hint. A hint, <laughs> yes. It is a typing error, yes. What's <laughs> um. <laughs> our crack playing its games again? Yeah. Welcome, Tony. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank back, you. Back to your podcast. Your podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sick twist of fate. No, thank you. It's nice to be back. It's good to see you. Um, it's your choice today. Yes, I'm Dunkirk. And, and Stephen, get this, mate. He only watched it this morning. Yes. Isn't that what he usually does on a, on like a, an iPad in, listen, like, listen, in the back of his house? It's worked out well so far. <laughs> I did send a copy over to him, but for some reason it wouldn't download properly. So Tony has watched it on his phone this morning. See, the things I've done for this, I've watched James Bond in Portuguese. No, it's Dutch. Sorry, it's Dutch, it's wasn't Dutch. it? Yes, it was, and yeah. I've now watched this on a mobile phone for about three years, it felt, this morning. <laughs> It is a bit of a long movie. Well, we've watched longer, but this is about two and a quarter hours long. Mm. It's Just Dun- right. Yeah. Well, I think it needs to be that length to tell the story. It's yeah. Dunkirk from 1958. Should we just go straight into this? Should we play the trailer? Let's dive in. After this. Winston Churchill changed the very course of history when he declared, we shall fight on the sea, on land, in the streets, we shall never surrender. Dunkirk, a very human story of men who were afraid and those who wouldn't let them be. I've never kicked a man lying down before, but this may be the moment to start. Now get your feet, we're moving. A sinister story of those who prospered on treachery and betrayal. Unlimited petrol and all the whiskey you want. You're sitting pretty, aren't you, Holden? Yes, it's a lovely war. Dunkirk is a graphic story of everyday men and women heroically daring the reckless reality of sudden total war. Here is explosive action drama that pounds your pulses and stirs your emotions. Dunkirk, released in the USA, 10th of September 1958, directed by Leslie Norman, starring John Mills, Richard Attenborough, Bernard Lee are the three main stars. Synopsis quite briefly, a dramatisation of the British Expeditionary Force's 1940s retreat to the beaches of France, an extraordinary seaborne evacuation that saved it from utter destruction by Nazi Germany. Most people will be familiar with the Christopher Nolan newer version from 2017. Stephen, you haven't seen it, have you? 
I haven't, no, I was considering uh, watching it, especially for this, but then I thought, why cloud my um, my judgment of mm. of the films by... Uh, Good idea, yeah. So, and I, I know um, Tony's opinion of, of the newer one isn't just, as high as this one, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, you hear it? <laughs> I'll, I'll go with my, I'll go with, uh, with Tony's view there, and I'll stick to the, the purest. We, we will mention it, though, Tony, at some point, because... I'm not going to go into any great depth and comparing this as a remake because it's not a remake. There's nothing to compare. No, you you really did. I, not... I despised it. Really, literally about ten minutes into the film, I would have happily left. That's how much I hated that film. Okay, so that's totally it was opinion. <laughs> very very quickly apparent to me. You had like your Tom Hardy and that other geezer from that Killian Murphy, and Killian Murphy yeah. from Peaky Hats or whatever they call them. <laughs> Can't stand that either, and. Um, Who's that other geezer from One Direction? Oh, Harry Styles. Harry Styles. Yeah. He's literally... They're all in it, mm. just for the women. To, it's a chick flick. <laughs> Seriously, it doesn't... It's got nothing to do with Operation Dynamo, Dunkirk. Well, it has you, a bit, but... It's not. They're just dressed up, and they're all walking around trying to be big, brave men, and... Whereas this is a this is the stiff gritty. upper lip, and... This is like ten years... Yeah, this is, yeah about ten years after, isn't it? It's not long afterwards. It's still very, very raw to everybody. Yeah, that's true. I've seen this particular version about two or three times. Mm. This was your... F- you think it wasn't your first no, time? No, I'm, I'm going to say one and a half. You've one and a half times watched this morning. Yeah. Stephen, yourself? I think this is only the second time I've seen it. Yeah. Now I think of it. Is it, it it's sort of it's familiar. Entirety, yeah, yeah, I mean, watching it Friday night... All right, I'd seen it about a year ago, two years ago. I probably saw it about the same time the other one came out, actually. Mm. But as you mentioned to me off air, Tony, it was quite familiar. It's one of the ones you think you may have seen on a Sunday afternoon yeah. or something. Yeah, there were scenes in there that I've seen, definitely seen before. I just can't remember watching it in its entirety. Yeah. Let's get the Christopher Nolan thing out of the way. The main sort of sticking point with the Christopher Nolan thing for me was the chronological aspect of it because it jumped from time shifts, didn't it? It was, it was you know, flashbacks and then it was jumping forward and... Mm. If you hadn't sussed that out, you'd be totally lost. And it did. It threw it for, threw it for me when I yeah, first watched it. Yeah, it threw it for me. Second time watching the Christopher Nolan one, because I knew that was how it worked, it worked better for me. But watching this Friday night, yeah, I think this is far better. Yeah, it works so well. Both, both are sort of filmed on an epic scale. Mm. But I think with this one, we get the build-up a lot better. We get... A better idea of the scale of the whole operation. In the Christopher Nolan one, I didn't get the th- the feeling that there were thousands and thousands of people involved. No, and they're, they're pretty much, the journey's done with. They're at the last bit of it, aren't they? They're yeah. at Dunkirk, they're ready to evacuate. And this one, I just got a whole sense of how important the whole thing was. Mm. Um, and the sacrifice along the way. Yeah, uh, the only thing that I think the Nolan thing did a little bit better was we got more of an idea of the little ships. Yeah. But we'll talk about all that. As I say, I don't want to compare it to the Christopher Nolan film because it is a film that's worthy of discussion in its own right because of who's in it, because of the nature of the story and just its place in not only war history but British movie history as well. Mm. Right, first off, off the bat, director Leslie Norman. Who's Leslie Norman? Hands up. He's the director for Dunkirk. Well done. Stephen, do you know an interesting fact about Leslie Norman? Um, his name rings a bell. I'm struggling to remember off the top of my head um, what okay. other things he's been involved in. Okay. He's I Barry Norman's well. father. Oh, He's Barry Norman's father and was involved with a lot of war movies like The Cruel Sea and things like that. So did, did a lot of TV stuff after this, sort of like The Persuaders and Randall and Hopkirks. But probably, yeah, Barry Norman would mention his father at every opportunity because he was this very famous British director, writer, producer. Take us through it. Tony, come on, it's your second time watch. So you watched it this morning. You've made notes, which is marvellous. Yes, but my notes are a little bit different to what um, everyone else's notes would be. Okay. I picked up on... <laughs> Stephen hasn't got it. He, he's worried now, isn't he? No, it's... it's it, you'll, you'll understand. Are these notes you've made about while listening to LBC? They're, they're angry stick men. <laughs> they're like pictures I've drawn in rages. 
I'll just see red and start drawing things. A lot of it's scribbles. What's the main point you want to make from okay, your notes, yeah. mate? Yeah. What's the main thing that stands out from you sitting there? Because it's you don't normally do a great deal of notes. This is no. This is obviously something as has hit you here with this movie for you to do that. Well, we're not sitting there watching it. Obviously, we've got quite a way in. We're now getting up to the point where they're going to initiate Operation Dynamo, the yeah. evacuation. Yeah. And it's when they start to gather the little ships and all little boats. Mm-hmm. And the Medway Queen. Yes. Stephen, this may not mean a great no, deal to you. It mean it means a lot to me and Scott because about a mile from the Balaban Studios <laughs> not even that. Yeah. The Medway Queen is actually moored. Yeah. And we can go on it. Yeah. And the Medway Queen it's actually nicknamed the heroine of Dunkirk. Yes. Paddle steamer, right. wasn't it? Yeah, paddle steamer. Mm. Uh, it's requisitioned by the Royal Navy for a few years of its life. It, yeah. it was built in Scotland, That's sent it. down here to work on the River Medway. Yeah. And it did trips over the South End and Sheerness and whatnot. It was requisitioned for the Royal Navy for a number of years. But particularly Dunkirk made seven trips, rescuing 7,000 men. Wow. Yeah, recorded 7,000 servicemen that that ship brought back to Blighty. No wonder she's, yeah, the heroine of Dunkirk. So the fact that they actually went to the trouble of locating the Medway Queen in this film, at the time, I think it was back in service, working on the rivers again, uh, the rivers Medway. Oh. Um, Because shortly after, I think 1963, it was going to be scrapped. That's right, yeah, I knew that. And it was sent to, I want to say, Belgian... Mm-hmm. Um, the Belgians they were going to cut it up oh right okay yeah. and they refused they refused to cut it up because Belgians yeah the Belgians refused to cut it up because, because of the history uh, because of the history of it yeah and so they sent it back now, isn't fully it? fully restored yeah, yeah it came back and it was a nightclub I remember that yes for a was. while yeah um, then it sat dormant in pieces by the Chatham Historic Dockyard okay um, it was moored there on the mud for a bit and then they got a grant to um, restore it. Yeah, and it's down in Gillingham now. And now it's it? Gillingham Pier, and yeah. you can go and visit it and go on it and sort of see for yourself. A bit of history, mate. A bit of history, and it's not a massive vessel. So so it got seven trips, 7,000? 7, 1,000 people per trip, and they must have just been packed. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at the movie, Stephen, you'll recognise it because there is this paddle steamer. It's got Medway Queen written across the paddle, hasn't it? You can yep. see it. Um, I remember seeing a, a paddle steamer, but I didn't one. know any mm. of this history or um, reference in that. In fact, what I'm going to do for the page, for all the listeners that follow the mm. Facebook page, when I leave here today, I'm going to go down to Gillingham Pier. Take some photos? And I'm going to get some photographs. Excellent. And I'm going to get a selfie. Oh, no, f- don't do that. No, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's happening. I'm already on the way back. Um, Stephen likes some of my photos I've been sending him because I've, I've spotted some London landmarks. We spoke about this on another episode. Oh, right. When we reviewed Bunny Lake, wasn't it, I think, Stephen? I was actually outside the pub. Yeah, not selfies, uh, pictures of the location. Yeah. It's smartly facing. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, do that, uh, Tony. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to post that um, to the page because I think that'd be... Um, it's nice to see that it's, it is a very important part of history and it is local to yeah. us which is nice yeah and I think we're going to try and do some some more bits like that if we can if it's local to us and um, it's relevant then we'll um, I think we ought to yeah that's really make really it a cool. historical trip we might even get some um, lottery funding you reckon yeah Okay. I think we should go for a <laughs> three million pound grant which would be quite nice <laughs> Stephen first time watch second time watch possibly how did it go for you sir well I mean, I went into it realizing that it was a, a it was an epic. It was long, as a, as far as um, the screen time. But the thing is, it, it despite that epicness that it eventually reaches with the um, masses of soldiers on the beaches and etc. It's it's following intimate stories, um, which is what binds it together really. And mm. there's a certain point where the two threads of story actually come together and yes. two. Uh, which is is quite nice. It's a story that needs to be told, and I think the way in which it was told in this way was acknowledging some of the heroism and also the trauma and some of the um, impact of having like this bravado as well, and then being confronted with the reality. So there was there was a number of uh, elements to this where it wasn't just jingoism 
mm. it was very much um, telling sort of intimate stories of people involved in this whole process, yeah. um, and that there were, you know, reluctant heroes, heroes in many ways, but still um, heroes in the end. Yeah, because there's quite personal stories, isn't it? There's some individual people that they focus on, notably John Mills. Mm. And Bernard Lee, I think that's the interesting one, because he's a reporter. And we know Bernard Lee from you know playing M was James Bond, you know, that's that's what most people will know him as. But it highlights the fact that war had broken out the previous September, and I think we mentioned this, Stephen, in our Hope and Glory review, that there was this period called the Phony War. Well, it's mentioned in the film, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, um, yeah. When, a bit Madden comes in. And, yeah, yeah, nothing happens, does it? They, you know, in the eyes of the British public, you know, there were, there were troops abroad, mm. but nothing was going on. And Victor Madden appears in the pub and he says, I'm sick of people like you, I'm going to take you outside. Yeah. Um, because you don't know what's going on. And this is the bit I like about the movie is that we then do get that build-up of... This is almost like a dad's army bit where you see the map moving. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I <laughs> and, and well, you it see. Did, it did occur to me that whether that was an inspiration for the people I, who create the credits. Yeah. Because it's so, so similar. Uh, and funny enough, there's another dad's army link. You've got Flanagan Allen singing, going to hang out the washing on the Sea Creed line. Yes. Yeah. Well, Bud Flanagan sings the dad's army the theme, theme. Yeah. doesn't he? So it was great that we saw that build up to 1940, how Belgium fell and, and the troops were being pushed literally to the shore with their backs to the shore mm. but it took its while getting to the evacuation i liked the fact that we got the whole sense of that happening yeah which not really mentioned the christopher nolan thing you didn't get that you didn't get you, it went straight into the story and you had to be aware of what the history part actually was whereas yeah. this laid it out fantastically by just focusing <clears throat> on john mills but then we also get, as I say, the Bernard Lee character, who's the reporter, pushing for details, isn't he? Stephen, do you remember that part? There's a press yes. conference, and he's actually trying to get information, and, and the general, whoever it is that's giving the press conference, says, I, I have nothing more to add, yeah. or something. There's a lot of censorship, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, so we weren't fully aware of what was going on. But then they all start to intertwine, and then you also get the Richard Attenborough character, Who's profiteering almost? Well, he is profiteering. Yeah, he is. From what's he making? Buckles, isn't buckles. it? Buckles, buckles. Yeah, I mean, he's making a profit, but um, you know, it's it's you know legitimate. It, oh yeah. Yes, he's doing well out of it, doing better than he was before the war, obviously. Mm. But it's nice the way that things turn around because he's a private boat owner. He gets involved along with Bernard Lee. And it's just the whole unfolding of the story, that, as you said, Stephen, the, the, the two or three main characters suddenly intertwine as, as, the, as the story progresses. And I just like the way it was done. So, Tony, I think yours is your enjoyment of the movie is more military-based, I'm going to suggest. How accurate it was. Go on. I'm, I'm very, very impressed. Mm -hmm. I get these, a lot, it's been a lesson for me today. Okay. Again, there's a certain couple of clips I caught when they were at the docks and that's where all the little ships were going to and they were registering them. Yeah. And I caught a um, life ring mm. on the wall that said HMS Wildfire. Okay. Well, I know, not not many people I know because I'm sad, <laughs> but um, HMS Wildfire is um, loads of different shore bases for the Navy. We've got HMS Wildfire in Gillingham under Mid-Kent College. All the tunnels there, HMS Wildfire... Sheerness Docks, which yeah. is partly still there today, Yeah, that was Operation Dynamo's um, HMS Wildfire. Yeah, that's where they all left from, wasn't it? They all departed from Sheerness. That's exactly. where they had to report to. Yeah. So, and then there was a few clips when they had the swing bridge goes round and they're yeah. walking over the bridge, everyone keep moving and the boat's mm. pulling in. Well, I double-checked. That's mm. actually Sheerness Dockyard. Oh, they filmed it there on location? They filmed it on location where it actually all happened. I'll tell you what... Um, Again, this probably won't mean a great deal to you, Stephen, unfortunately. But there's the bit where they're blowing up the bridge in Belgium, right near the beginning. Yeah. Oh, he waits they're on the bridge. Yeah. They're they're on the bridge and then there's yeah. Susset, don't they? Yeah. yeah. That's filmed on the River Medway at Teston. That's the bridge at Teston. Down, oh, really? Down near, was it near Maidstone around That's that? That's it, yeah, yeah. 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 Again, Did Stephen, the Germans not... get that far? <laughs> no, but the Dutch got as far as Medway, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, 400 years ago. <laughs> we don't talk about that, do we? Got as far as up now. Um, but yeah, it's, so they didn't want to come to Medway. They turned around <laughs> and went back. Um, 
So you've spotted a lot of actual... So they're, they're filmed actually on location? On location. And I was so impressed with that, that obviously, because, again, CGI wasn't a thing back then, was it? Um, no. But they went to the trouble... Of finding of, the actual dock. Yeah, and the actual ships that went over there. Mm-hmm. Um, another, a very another quick thing, which, again, is special to me because mm-hmm. of my fire service links. Yep. They used the Massey Shore fireboat from London, which was the Thames fireboat. Okay. That was used in the evacuation. That was also in the film. You so, see the firemen on the ship pulling yeah. away um, from near London Bridge. As you said before, it's only 13 years after the end of the war. Yeah, still so very raw. All these all these boats are still in existence, and yeah. they've gone to the trouble of getting the actual... Well, that makes it even more special, Stephen, doesn't it? I think that they've actually... Well, absolutely, yeah. That authenticity is, um, is key, because you, you could quite easily get a situation where people, retrospectively, would be poo-pooing the... the f- Boats used in the film and say no, oh, they never would have put that yeah. many on that, or they never would have been able to carry that many, or whatever. But when they're actually using those self same craft, yeah. it means that it's that, that it can't be disputed really, and that that is key to making sure that the the full enormity of this is is felt. Yeah, I think with any war film, it's very very important to get it correct, just because of the the importance of the event. Especially something like this. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not something you want to go out your way to... There's no poetic licence to it. Yeah, you don't want to go in sort of half-baked. It's no, like, we're going to make a can't. film about this and we're just going to cobble it together. Because it, they've really gone for it. Yeah. You, you can't, yeah, you can't go in half-baked at all. It's not like a podcast, is it? No. <laughs> well, no. Well, depends who your guests are. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like to think I'm not a guest because I'm going to be regularly back again. Uh, this, he's been threatening this for promises, months. Promises, promises. Yeah, threatening this for months. <laughs> I told you I was off discovering myself. <laughs> Did you like what you found? Well... It was very nice. Stop there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some of the uh, some of the cast and the crew. Um, probably a, a, an ideal point to bring in the Hall of Fame because right, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. expecting some inductees, Stephen. Well, there are. Yeah. Normally, I would go through listing the names of the people and, and telling you what other films have been in. But mm-hmm. It's just a bit of an, an enormity in in this sense. I mean, <laughs> we've got one person who is having their eighth appearance. Eighth. Uh, yeah, um, Fred Griffith. Okay. Uh, his name is. Um, I could, you know, went off that he was in uh, Carry On Nurse, Heavens Above, Passport to Pimlico, Always Rains on a Sunday, Doctor in the House, Pool of London, Lavender Hill, more than then this. So um, he's up there with the the highest inductees, and, we and then we've got two people. Sorry. Two people who were on their sixth appearance. <laughs> yeah. Um, three people. That's uh, Aidan Harrington and Frederick Piper. Again. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> then we got three people who were on their fifth appearances: Jack Armstrong, Richard Attenborough. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. And uh, Russell Waters. Then we've got seven people who are in their fourth appearances. <laughs> seven. Frank Forsyth, Forsyth uh, Howard Lang, Howard Pears. Victor Madden, yes. uh, Ernie Rice, uh, John Warwick, and uh, Joe uh, Madam. Okay. And then mm-hmm. we have uh, we have uh, 11 people who are finally getting into the Hall of Fame. You are kidding me. 11 inductees no. on this. Yes. So the most famous of which is John Mills. Oh, at last. He's, we, he's we finally th- got there. We thought he'd be one of the first inductees. It's- Exactly, but he has he has finally got in there after his appearances in um, in which we serve and Scott of the Antarctic. Okay. So then we also have um, a guy called Cecil Paul, mm-hmm. and then Philip Ray, uh, Anthony Nichols, Tim Turner, Harold Sido, um, John Salau, Salau, yeah, I think it's pronounced. John Welsh, Michael Bannon, uh, who we obviously know from we were talking about before as far as in been in um, Waking Ned and then previously in Hope and Glory. So that Ian Bannon. Nice. Ian Bannon, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Del Watson. And then there's a woman called Mona Washbourne. Oh, I know Mona Washbourne, yes. Um, who's who's made it in as well. So that's the oh, entirety of it all. Mona Washbourne's so. probably best known as the housekeeper in Mary Poppins. Yeah. Oh. Isn't she? Or one? No, My Fair Lady. The housekeeper in My Fair Lady. Did anybody spot Bernard Cribbins? Bernard Cribbins? Yeah. No. Yes, yes. Yeah, I did you spot him? Very yeah. young Bernard Cribbins. The, the first I Liz Fraser as well. Liz Fraser was there very briefly. She was in the, 
the garage in, what, the, in the workshop yeah, yeah what Richard Attenborough owned right and Lionel Jeffries yes we spotted him well he had a, quite a speaking part as well but yeah did you not see Bernard Cribbins no yeah, I thought you'd have spotted him no I love Bernard Cribbins yeah, and Liz Fraser definitely blink and you'll miss him what was Bernard Cribbins doing he was a sailor thirsty sailor it says here and then I reckon somewhere along the line mate I don't know if ah that was the other one Barry Foster was there as a dispatch rider, probably best known as Van der Valk. Again, this is going to be directed at Tony Stephen. Carry on at your convenience. Yeah. Yeah, the, the guy that's the union leader, everybody out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in it, Kenneth Cope. Really? Yeah, he has a very brief speaking part near the beginning. Yeah. Patricia Plunkett we've met before, she's in it. And Michael Bates, he must be coming up very soon, Stephen, as well. Um, Michael Bates is is a there's as I say the, the people who are having second appearances yeah. that stretches into Dozens. about twenty about twenty, okay. uh, so, um, including such likes as that, and as you say, Bernard Lee and oh right, um, okay, so only second for Bernard Lee as well. Yeah, so he's he's not quite made it yet. Michael Bates, as you say, Ooh. Sheila Rayner, there's you know, Lawrence Archer. Uh, there's there's a, there's a whole host of them that are making their second appearances. People, some of them, that, as you say, we will recognise from other films already, but it just doesn't have to be ones that we've review, reviewed. He must have uh, been a young here. man in this film, Michael Bates. He would have been, mate, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. he was in the original Last of the Summer Wine, wasn't he? He was yeah. the first, first um, with uh, Bill Owen and Peter Salis. Yeah. Stephen, at this point, I want to sing your praises, sir, because you have, as as curator of the Hall of Fame, you have gone through with a fine tooth comb. Could you reveal <laughs> to the listener how many actual inductees there are? Inductees currently yeah. as Hall of Fame, so they've had three appearances um, into the, and, and therefore got themselves into the British Hall of Fame. We uh, currently have, at my tally, uh, we have 134. <laughs> No, I asked Tony before we went on air, just, you know, how many do you think have actually got into the Hall of Fame? And he thought the same as me, all oh, about 30, 40 at the most. Yeah. yeah. Sensible number. It's 100 more than that. Yeah. Yeah, and we have some, you know, weirdness that, as I say, Scott was messaged about this the other week. Just reveal um, it, mate. As an air message. There's, there's, there's some, you know, weirdness in there that we've got, you know, a guy called Reg Thomason. Mm. And... You'd think, well, who's he? We've, you know, you might yeah. recognise his face if we put him in front of you, but mm. you don't recognise him off, off off the cuff. But he's had eight appearances. <laughs> Same with with, as I say, Fred Gif- Griffiths now. And um, there's also the, the the man Victor that we were talking about before, me in uh, me yes. in Scotland, who has has managed to get himself in there without us noticing that any of the films that he's been in <laughs> as such. But um, yeah, eight Victor, appearances, um, wasn't it? yeah. Victor, Victor Harrington. Victor Harrington. Um, and there's a Victoria who, Harrington as well. It's a Victoria <laughs> Harrington. It was, it was only one away from getting to the Hall of Fame herself. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've got an Aidan Harrington, which, as I say, is on the sixth appearance. And then we've got Victor Harrington, and he's on eight. So, and unfortunately, we uh, we did find out that there's there's more that have got these multiple appearances in the background that we realise. We've never met um, them before, never mentioned them before. And they've got eight <laughs> appearances, Tony. Can you believe that? That's mad. Um, sad news as well with regard to who we believed was the Queen of the Hall of Fame. Has yeah. she actually been deposed? Well, she's still she's still the, the top-ranking female oh, that's uh, cool. okay. in there. So she still can be classed as, as the Queen from our point of view, but she previously was the highest-appearing out of either gender and uh, unfortunately she has been pipped by those three three fellas who we've never heard of yeah Um, but that is Marianne Stone but we will be putting that to rights eventually because exactly we're going to just start doing every episode it's going to be a Marianne Stone film just to get her back in there as as the queen um, of overall yes Unfortunately, it was sad to find out. I sent a message to Scott. Actually, yeah. as soon as I found out, I had to send a message to say, "Oh no, she's she's lost out." Yeah, so. there's been a there's been a coup in the in in the hallway of the Village Hall of Fame. Not to worry, but the, yes, you've done a sterling job, sir, in actually collating all this information. Um, and we will be eventually posting something up on the Facebook group and Absolutely, Facebook page yeah. of all these yes. people as Thank they get inducted. But with 138, it could take a little while. Um, up, yeah. 
So back to the movie. Any standout scenes for you, Tony? Anything that you really liked in this? Uh, I think it's got to be the actual evacuation on the beach. Yep. You know, just how... It's just how it was, wasn't it? They were getting bombs, shelled, bullets, all sorts thrown at them, and they're just carrying on. You got a, you got a sense of how freezing that water was, how yeah, how dangerous. Yeah, the explosions. Yeah, that you said no CGI. That was actually taking place as, as genuine special effects. Yeah, yeah. They uh, just seemed so downtrodden that you know that was they they generally thought that was it. Mm, They'd be pushed back. That's it. Over. Yeah, and even the thing. The fact that someone was saying, "Well, this is my fourth attempt at trying to get on a boat." Yeah, it wasn't the first time they'd walked out, you know, shoulder deep in water. They'd tried it three or four times and had been turned away every single time. I think it was John Mills on the way back over. That he was um, concerned about what people had been saying about them, mm. what the public's perception was. Yeah, or it could have been on the beach. I can't remember now, but they were concerned about what people at home were thinking, thinking they were cowards or, yeah, yeah. or they hadn't done their job properly and all this. But as, as you know, as we revealed earlier in the film, nobody just, knew. Nobody was aware. No, nobody was aware of what was actually going on. All part of our own propaganda. You know, yeah. to keep the morale up. Yeah, keeping the British end up, sir. <laughs> Any standout parts for you, Stephen? Any scenes that sort of made made the cut for you? Well, I, I don't dispute at all that there was a, the the magnitude of the feat of showing the explosions on on the waterfront where mm. they were trying to rescue and. They're having to return to the beach as well after you know thinking that they were they'd had an escape yeah and you know and having just experienced the trauma of actually being bombed out and nearly lost your life and then being back in the despairing situation of sitting and waiting in line to be boarding another another boat it's um that's amazing there was also the the scene where they were they got um two scenes where they got um they got bombed out when they were the um, the unit was just astray, they were trying to catch up with the rest yes. of their squadron, and they were um, you know the one of their um, number gets killed underneath the um, lorry, yeah. um, and they find out that you know the the trauma of having lost one of their number, and then also they obviously on the road scene where there were just all the civilians, yes. including babies, get, mm, get um, shot at, and that's quite you know hard hitting to see. The people laying there, and then there's the, the the toddlers sort of wandering around in the destruction, looking for their their mothers who are laying there dead, sort of thing. Yeah. And it, that was, you know, that was hard. Um, it, despite you know the black and white nature of the film, and and despite you know as knowing the um, the is acted, you know, and actually realizing that that kind of thing happened mm. fairly yes. frequently. The you know the 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 collateral damage or, or the deliberate taking of lives of civilians, but. Um, yeah, I think the, those were very important scenes. But I think there was also, um, like you say, they're going through the the scenes of um, when they're about to be um, signing up their boats, yeah. and the Richard Attenborough's character being torn about, you know, not wanting to go but deciding to go, yeah. um, is is you know I think is quite key. The the way he acted that out, I think, is quite key to showing that. Um, mixed feeling that um, embodied a lot of what people did during the war where it, you know they they weren't brave because that was part of their nature it was because that it was what they had to do yeah. and they just knew they had to do it oh that's that's perfectly highlighted there isn't it the the change of attitude with Richard Attenborough because it, it's the scene with Victor Madden in the pub that turns his opinion yeah you yeah. almost go from a rejecter yeah to yeah, I need to do more. Yeah. I don't feel I'm doing yeah. enough. And that was a key scene for me. That bit in the pub that Victor Madden offering to take him outside was like, yeah, I enjoyed that. And and another bit that I sort of found almost edge of the seat was where they break into the farmhouse. Hmm. And they're sort of taking interns at the watch, you know, and, and they're helping themselves to the food, you know, they've found and all this. And then obviously the Nazis break in. Towards the end, you know, yep. there's that, that sort of pitch gun battle there. That was quite... Farmhouse in Kent as well. Was it really? There yeah, it's actually an host house, which they wouldn't have had over there. Oh, of course, yeah. So. yeah. As a war film in general, guys, where does it stand? Top tier? Yeah, for me it's, it's up to there. Tony straight away, he's got no doubt about mm. this. You've enjoyed this one, haven't you? Yeah, I really have. You've really got into it, haven't you? Stephen, yourself, I know you like a good war film, but is it is it a top ten war movie? I think the authenticity um, of it and the way in which it um, doesn't go... Some of the early war films, um, 
that were actually just you know after the war they didn't always i think get the balance right with the um the patriotism and showing the the fight that had been had and actually balancing out the the tragedy of it it was meant to be trying to say no look this was worth it but i think this gets the right balance to make sure that there's the the the, tr- the heroism in there along with the the fact that it, it was such a tragic situation to start off with. The individuality of, of that heroism rather than often Dunkirk and the Dunkirk spirit and all mm. this kind of stuff is talked about as a, as a national thing, but this is the, the in showing that. And I think that because of the authenticity um, in in that, I think that this is absolutely top tier as a, as a, a war film to make sure that this shows the human element of um of war rather than just you know uh, a dirty dozen type yeah sort of having a blast i think mm, i think for me it's it's elevated quite high because of the build-up to the evacuation i love the fact that it didn't rush to get to the little boats we had that whole phony war you know the the taking of belgium and all of this lot and then you got a sense of exactly what was happening and how important it was and what scale it was actually taking place on. From beginning to end, it takes you through near enough every emotion, doesn't it? Oh, I think so. Yeah, mm. and I think that what you're saying there's got about the the build up. Yeah, I think you having I've not seen it, but you both having said about the the Christopher Nolan one, mm. which basically just starts off with the evacuation. It doesn't show any build up. Yeah. You'd think it would be more important for you know. Really, they should be the other way around in retrospect, because surely the people back when the this this Dunkirk was done, you had people already had foreknowledge of what Dunkirk was. Whereas now, you think you'd need some scene setting to actually establish for some of the younger audience about what how they got, ended up in that situation in the first place. So I don't know whether that's part of why the Christopher Nolan one lacks a certain amount of satisfaction for for you both because um, it it doesn't feel like it sets the scene yeah. for what's going to happen. It's like it's a film of popularity, the Christopher Nolan. Do you yeah. think it's more sort of Hollywood? Yeah, well, yeah. Whereas this is this is stiff Nit- British upper lips, Nit- isn't yeah, it? Yeah, nitty-gritty. Yeah. You know. Um, 2017, when the Nolan film came out, there was another film that came out, same summer, and it was being touted as, well, if you want to watch Dunkirk, watch this as a companion movie to it. And it's The Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill. Mm. Oh, yes, yeah. Because it is set literally in that build-up of the fall of Belgium yeah, yeah. and the troops in Dunkirk and, and all of that. It literally is the untold story that we don't get in both versions here. And I'm going to suggest that perhaps this is that is a good companion piece to this movie. If you want to get a sense of what was happening on the home front from the declaration of war up to the evacuation of Dunkirk... That's an ideal sort of starting point. Because uh, they discuss it, don't they? About they say about how they got it wrong and the lead, and it wasn't the soldiers; it was the leadership and how yeah. they had, you know. And then they say, "Do you think we've got that now?" And they say about the changeover to Churchill that's that it. that's a, mm. that's a start of getting the right leadership. Yeah, and so absolutely, there might be a the link there worth worth exploring for people. It might be worth us reviewing at some point as well because we're yeah. not. We're not averse to reviewing a, a newer movie or two, are we? So no rating system. I don't know if Tony's come up with anything for five stars or ten stars, however you want to. We, we usually do it out of five, oh, from what I can a, remember. I normally do a five. Stephen just does his own bloody thing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's a five from our our um, side of things, and Stephen's. I don't know what yours are. Well, but mine's top... a definite five. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 we, we were talking earlier today, Stephen, Stephen and I were recording a, a Stinking Paws episode, and I think the exact words was, I struggle not to give a, this a five. Yeah. There's no reason why I can't give this five stars because of the acting. The, the the sense of emotion, like you said, Tony, I went through every sense of emotion. Mm. You know, edge of the seat stuff, tears almost, you know, the, even a little bit of laughter, you know, chuckling at some of the little bits and pieces that were going on. And, and I can't not give it five stars. Now, Stephen, his review system, how would how would yeah. this fall with yours, sir? Yeah, although I, it doesn't necessarily need to be seen on the big screen, it's definitely one that people need to go out of their way to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just because of the, the actual subject matter, which um, is 
the best handling, it seems, of that subject matter. And that's important for us to remember um, what happened. But I also think that the quality of the way in which it's done, the not just the acting talent, but as Tony has pointed out, the authenticity. Yeah. I think that that means that it is something that really, you know, this is the kind of thing that to some extent every school child should see during, you know, yeah. during their studies at school sort of thing to, um, with regards to understanding the war. And I mean, I'm not a, a massive advocate for the fact, you know, for actually constantly going on with regards to um, the war and looking back, but it's important to actually recognise what did happen and what what challenges were faced and what sacrifices were made. And this film is a is a, a brilliant brilliant window into showing that authentically. So I think this is a film that that virtually everybody in this country, particularly, should go out of their way to um, see at least once in their lifetime. Yeah, I could agree with that. Just add one final thought before we sort of wind things up a wee bit here. Nineteen fifty eight. This could have quite easily have been filmed in colour. Yeah. Does the black and white make a difference? Oh, no. Would oh, you have preferred it to have been in colour? It would have been nice if it had been in colour. I think it makes it more hard-hitting, being in the black and white. Yeah. I think you get more of a sense of the impact of it. Stephen, would you agree with that, mate? It doesn't have to be a colour movie, does it, this one? No, I think that, the, the, as Tony says, there's a, there's a, it would be nice in colour because there are certain things that it could have perhaps shown, um, you know, that it might have given you more insight into the the grime and the, the blood yeah. and the the filth of the situation and the the surroundings particularly on the beach with the, the darkness and stuff that with black and white when you're showing a dark situation you, you're a bit more limited in your palette whereas if it's you've got some colors you can have dark colors and still show darkness and, and still get some details across yeah. but I think that on the other side, this film, it gives you a feel of the time, it being black and white. Um, a lot of people are mainly used to seeing stuff to do with the war in black and course, white. Yeah. And so I think that, that allows you to feel like it more, it is, even though it's actually only made shortly after, it still makes you, you feel it is of the time, yeah. like it being black and white. Yeah. I think, thinking about that question, the only thing that I'd like to have seen mm. actually in colour is the little ships. I think that would have just like driven home to everybody that not too sure about this story is mm. not up on their history that these were civilians yeah. in their pleasure boats. I just wish we had a little bit more of the scale of how many boats actually went out. Yeah. You get a little bit of an idea when they're coming through the Thames. Yeah. But, you know, as they're going across the channel, you only sort of see six or seven or whatever. You don't get the the full scale of it yeah um, it just how showed how united people were yeah that um although they were told they had to register their boat mm. which anyone could have gone and registered it yeah but they actually decided that now we're going to be part of this yeah. we're going to go over we're going to do our bit bring said, our boys back we we know our boats better than anybody so that's yeah. what they were saying wasn't yeah. it? Who and the subject of the boat's been that you know there was also that to and through trying to actually pull back the uh, the naval support yeah. Mm. When that had been pulled away, and, and it was almost a, you know, we're willing to do something you're not willing to do, and that, you know, in order for us to succeed, we need to have your support. And that mm. tussle does put it more squarely, as you say, in the hands of the the civilians um, being at the heart of this rescue. Yes. Um, as you said, you know, people taking responsibility for their own boats and deciding to go and do it rather than leave it to others. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating story so I think even at the time people didn't realise how because there was a bit in the film when they were on the beach and one of the soldiers said oh is that the navy yeah oh no no they're civvies yeah they and they were just so shocked yeah but they wouldn't know would they That's they wouldn't the have known they wouldn't have known okay let's leave it at that let's take a short break guys and we're going to be back with what we're watching next time <laughs> Next time, the three of us get together because this was not planned, was it? This was going to be a, a Tony and I episode. I love unplanned threesomes on a Sunday. <laughs> I gate crashed. He gate crashed, but 
more than welcome. It's been of a course. great afternoon getting the three of us together. Thank you for coming on as a guest, Stephen. It's very oh, nice lucky. Him, to... lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, entirely happy to come in a, a threesome. Uh, <laughs> we have heard. I'm surprised I managed to last this long, to be fair. There's many articles on the internet about this. <clears throat> yeah, I wrote most of them. <laughs> we had decided... <laughs> on what I had, just, just trying to get a semblance of order here. We, we had decided what our next three man episode would be. It was a three man episode. Oh, I see what you did there, Scott. Um, and it wasn't going to be this, but we'd already decided that it was going to be Reach for the Sky. Mm. Seems to be a bit of a war theme going around when the three of us get together. If we can time this right, which will probably be impossible because we haven't managed to time anything right in the three years of this podcast. We could try and get Reach of the Sky done and released round about the 75th anniversary of VE Day, mm. beginning of May, yeah, which I good. think would be nice. That would be good. So that's going to be the next time the three of us get together. Now, as I say, this was going to be a Tony and I episode, so you'd already selected Dunkirk. So okay. it's my choice for you. And we're going to go the year after. We're going to go to 1959. Oh. And act, act surprised when I tell you this, because you already do know what it is, Tony. In, in three years... We've only covered two Carry On movies. I think we need to go next in the sequence, which will be 1959's Carry On Teacher. <gasps> Marvellous. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> and the Oscar goes too. Yeah, I went not, to RADA. Not to that's for sure. I was delivering there once. Um, am I right in saying there's still no Sid James in this, guys? No, no Sid James. But we've still got Carry Kenneth On Williams. Constable, I want to say. I think it is. First appearance yeah. as the sergeant. It is. But it's got in, Kenneth Williams and Kenneth, Williams. And Kenneth Connor and Charles Hartry and stuff in it. They've so. all been in the previous two, haven't they, as well? So Catty <coughs> yeah, Jakes has been in the previous two. The bread and butter of Carry On. And this is the one with Ted Ray, isn't it, as the headmaster in his only Carry On appearance. And I'll tell you the story behind that when we meet. Unfortunately, no Marion Stone in this. Is she not? So we can't actually get her? I don't her. think oh. so. Okay, not to worry. Joan Sims. Joan she Sims there. is in it. Joan Sims, yeah. Oh, good. Jo- <laughs> a brother. Well, Alistair. Alistair. <laughs> Alistair, John. <laughs> I, I did pick up on something the other day in one of your podcasts. That, um, did we that, mention something you, you about You may have mentioned something about it. Tom Hardy, did we mention as well? Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you know Tom Hardy? Anyway. Uh, listeners go back and find out the legend episode, isn't it? So. I thought Tom Hardy and there was another actor. I didn't realise it was the same person. There you go. There you go. Save you a bit but of But you're not there. alone with that. I mean, we, we quite often mention the fact that Charlie didn't realise that, was it Peter Sellers <laughs> had multiple roles in Doctor Strangelove? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fine. I just think that shows how good they are as an actor, doesn't it? That you didn't actually notice. Yeah. Well Ironically, done. that has attained legendary status, to be honest. Legendary status, indeed. So, yeah. <laughs> so. It's compliments to the man that only has two voices. <laughs> I don't know if has anyone heard the Sky advert when he says data. He really annoys me. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy annoys me. The man with but you like voices. him in Legend, don't you? Oh, I love him in Legend. Yeah, yeah he's great. But that, that's, that's all he has. <laughs> and then, then there's his data oh. you know and all, all the mums are getting rather excited over him because he does the bedtime story thing on that's the- what the modern Dunkirk is what it's for single mums that like um, watching Harry, Harry Styles and yeah. Tom Hardy Tillian, Killian Murphy yeah, yeah they do unspeakable things it's like um, it's like a live Fifty Shades of Grey the book <laughs> isn't it? they love it a British Fifty Shades of Grey well, well, Tom Hardy in uniform and Harry Styles in the same picture. Oh, not seen that theory anywhere on the internet of you, Steve. <laughs> I think that's just part of. No the, offense uh, to single mums up and down the UK. Anyway, I mean, you, you do a great job, but when you're sitting there watching Dunkirk with your kebab, um, ignoring your baby crying, yeah, you'll think about this now, won't you? Oh, he's ranting now. Let's call it. So, a so Tony, when. Uh, just tell us uh, what time slot your LBC um, show is on. Well, I'm available weekdays um, from four to seven. I, I, I double up with Steve Allen um, frequently. Right. And, and I will go for all the taboo subjects that everyone's not quite sure on if they want to go there. Tony, yeah. Stephen, it has been a pleasure. Well, 
I think we could make another podcast. Uh, I haven't I got this. another podcast there, yeah. I haven't got I the think, strength. You know, my views and your views would make interesting <laughs> we'd, conversation. Just, yeah. We'd just Facebook Live it. It'd just be a live stream, no editing, nothing. Yeah. The nitty gritty of me ranting. I'll just wear a microphone all day. <laughs> Tony, Stephen, thank you so much for being here today. No, thank you. <laughs> An unexpected pleasure having the three of us almost in the same room. Looking forward to what we're doing next. Reach for the sky. Reach for the sky. As a reminder, don't normally do this, but as a reminder, there is the Facebook page, the Facebook group, and the Twitter. Yeah. Jump in, join in the conversation. We'd love to see you Look there. Look for a picture of Tony. Yes. We love your comments at three o'clock in the morning when my phone's switched on. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you all soon. Goodbye. Take care. For now. Poverty <laughs> shah. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. British hand up, sir.